Sansach, Chapter Sixteen, Read by Rosa Zane. Author's note: Meet Adwarodam, Dis, daughter of Fries. Once a princess of Erebor, now first adviser to the king, Dis has lived through the same terrible losses and hardships that so hardened her eldest brother Thorin. She adjusted by becoming very stern and dutiful, and over the years she has become quite cold in her manner. In addition, she lost her one, Vili, son of Var, after only twenty years together, and so she had to raise her young sons Vili and Keeley alone. Trained in history and statecraft, and not warcraft or tactics, Dis was originally groomed for political life. The fall of Erebor interrupted those plans, and so she became a jeweler instead. She created a scandal when she married Vili, a poor and low-born stonemason, as he was not a suitable choice of partner for a royal heir, according to the council. Her family defended her decision, but she made a final end to the matter when she responded by relinquishing her place in the succession in favor of her sons. She is not as prone to anger as the men of her family, though she has an abundance of her line's steely determination and pig-headed stubbornness. Dees has inherited the dark hair and eyes of Thrain. Her favorite weapon is a sword, though she also wields the bow with some skill. The world was fair, the mountains tall, in elder days before. Thorin didn't bother with eating the next morning. He threw on a tunic, belted it, pulled his hair back into a rough queue he couldn't remember the last time he had brushed and oiled it, and shoved his feet into his boots without lacing them. It was only as he was striding towards his chamber door that he realized he had forgotten to put on some trousers. His attire sorted out, he made his way directly for Gimlin's Aram, and ignored the calls of his name that floated toward him through the sweet-ringing rock of Mahal's halls. One of the voices sounded rather like his grandfather, but he carried on regardless. Yesterday's news from Erebor would keep for a few more hours. His head felt light and free-floating. Evidently, he had not managed sufficient sleep once again. He ignored it, and sat at his customary bench, his left hand settling beside his leg as always. His fingers had worn grooves in the soft, smooth sandstone. With the sound of Gimli's hand landing in the elf's palm ringing in his ears, he dived into the pool, and emerged shaking and blinking in Rivendell. Elrond's home always made Thorin feel resentful. He knew he had not behaved in an exemplary fashion, and neither had any of his people, with the possible exception of Ori. And the reminder made him seethe rather than fill him with guilt. Elrond himself had been of help to his company, grudging though it was. Thorin should have been more gracious. But the damned elf was just so superior. Bilbo understood elves. Bilbo would help Thorin understand. Bilbo. Where was Bilbo? He squinted into the rays of soft, honey-colored light that spilled into the graceful walkways of the last homely house. Bilbo was nowhere to be seen, but a tall and slender elf-maid was moving swiftly between the lacy, fanciful domes. Her blue dress billowed out behind her, and her long, dark hair was loose. Her face was heart-stoppingly lovely, even beardless as she was, and her eyes were nearly the equal of Mism's. A covered dish rusted in her hands. Master Bilbo, she said softly, stopping at a door and knocking. Ah, oh, Blast. Oh dear, just wait a moment, will you? Came the cracked and querulous voice of his very own. Eventually the door opened, and the white head peered out. Bilbo was clutching a stick, and his hair had thinned even more since Thorn's last visit. Oh, Lady Arwen, he said and his face creased into a smile, the wrinkles gathering around his eyes and lips. Do come in! Awfully sorry for the wait. Knees aren't what they were, you understand. The elf woman smiled back. 
and Thorne was startled to see a genuine fondness in her face. "'There is no need to apologize,' she said in a low, smooth voice. "'Here, I have brought the cakes you wish to try. I do not believe they are my finest effort.' "'I'll be the judge of that, thank you very much,' Bilbo said, giving her a meaningful look. "'After all, who is the hobbit here?' "'I would never argue with you when it came to food, my Edugib,' Thorne murmured. Then he glanced back at the elf, and wondered if she would leave. Bilbo, give us hell. You understand these damned elves. You must help me, with your clever mind and your clever words. Gimli begins this folly, and I must learn to understand them all too late. The hobbit tottered to a small bench and sat down, pulling a blanket over his knees and looking up at the elf expectantly. Well, I don't have forever, you know. Let's taste them. Patience, Master Bilbo, she said, smiling. Would you like tea? Oh, certainly, certainly, he said, folding his hands together on his lap. Only I hope you're not expecting me to get up again. She laughed aloud and stood herself, moving to where a long, thin strut hung over the fire. The strut was elvish, but the kettle hanging from it was distinctly hobbitish. Thorin privately considered that the one that he had made was far, far superior in both form and function. "'Is everything well, Lady Owen?' Bilbo said, leaning forward over the table and peering at the plate of cakes she had brought. "'You don't seem to smile as often as you used to do, if you'll pardon me saying. I think that's the first time I've heard you laugh for over a month.' She paused and moving the strut to sit above the flames, and then she sighed. "'I worry,' she said. "'Ah,' Bilbo said, blinking in realization. "'Oh, you shouldn't worry, my dear. "'He'll be perfectly all right. "'You'll see. "'He's such a very impressive warrior, after all, "'and fiercer than a... a hobbit.' "'She smiled again. "'A few things in this world are fiercer than a hobbit, Master Bilbo. "'Still, I do not fear for his safety "'so much as I do for his heart.' He wavers between what he must do and what he would do. Bilbo's eyebrows rose. Does he? Does he now? Well, I suppose it could be taken that way. Do you think this quest will make him shirk his duty? No, she said immediately. He has never forsaken his duty. But he would hide from himself and his destiny forever, if he could. And that way lies darkness and grief for us both. Thorn looked between the hobbit and the elf frowning. "'Why?' Bilbo asked, giving in to temptation and taking one of the little cakes from under the covered tray. "'Why renounce his destiny?' "'He is afraid,' Arwen sighed, and she turned her head to gaze at the kettle sitting above the flickering flames. "'He fears the weakness of his line, that he will succumb to the same flaw that fell Isildur.' Bilbo's nose wrinkled, and he swallowed a mouthful of cake hurriedly. "'Well, that's a load of old pish and tosh, if you'll allow an old North Farthing saying,' he said, in his most important manner. And Thorin could not help the smile that tugged at the corner of his mouth. Bilbo was still Bilbo, no matter how many years passed. "'Aragorn is a good man and a mighty warrior. He's not his ancestor. I do hope you reassure him.' "'I did. I do not think he heard me.' Ah, well, in my experience, it takes quite a bit for kings to hear you the first time round, Bilbo said, nodding firmly and taking an emphatic bite of his cake. Thorin's eyebrows rose, and then he muttered, Impertinent hobbit. Then he blinked. Wait, Aragorn? Bilbo snorted. Let me tell you something or two about the weakness of lines and fears and kings and all the rest, my dear. Aragorn fears his legacy, and that is a good thing. It's when they ignore the bad that comes with all the glory that it becomes dangerous. And he's never been the type, has he? Arwen shook her head. This elf woman, this Arwen, is the Undomiel that Aragorn speaks of? Thorn said in a dawning wonder and confusion. He is a man, and she an elf. And wait a moment. What do you mean, ignore the bad? What type? You infuriating creature, are you being slyly insulting? Again? Bilbo leaned back upon his bench cushion and sighed. He'll do fine, Lady Arwen, he said, 
his cracked voice wavering. Better than... well, you'll see. He won't fall into any nasty traps laid for him by generations past. Aragorn has been a ranger and a soldier, a man of the people, a commoner. He has hidden his name and his ancestry from all and sundry. He doesn't announce his eminence. He doesn't want to be king. So he'll probably make a jolly good one. Thorin sat down heavily next to his hobbit, his mind whirl. Bilbo, have you always thought thus? Bilbo sighed again, and his fingers shredded idly at his little cake. I, I don't mean to insult anyone. Only that that is what I see. You see much, my one, said Thorin, his heart sinking into his boots. How do you know all this, Master Bilbo? Arwen said, looking up from the fire. I have seen many lives of trees come and go, and yet I know less of kings and their fears than you do. Bilbo's eyes dropped. I knew a king, he mumbled. Three, in fact. A king of dwarves, she said, lifting the kettle from the strut and bringing it to the pot. A king of men and a king of elves. Yes, that's right, he said, and he took a bite of his cake to keep from answering. Arwen obviously knew this tactic, and so she busied herself with making the tea as Bilbo finished his mouthful. When he could no longer pretend to be eating, she looked up expectantly. Did they confide in you? In me? Bilbo laughed, though it was a little forced. If you think King Thranduil had anything personal to say to me, I do wonder if you haven't been tra-la-la-lying a little too much. Master Bilbo, she said gently, and put her fine-boned hand upon his arm. He looked down at it, and then his eyes softened with old, old regret. I think he became fond of me. Yes, he said after a pause. We didn't have the most auspicious start, shall we say? At any rate, eventually we came to a sort of companionship. I was no dwarf, and so I expect I was a safe confidant. He spoke to me about the glory of his home and his people, how he needed to save them. He would do anything to save them. He spoke of the marvels he would build. He wanted so much for them. He wanted desperately to reclaim his heritage and his birthright. I did, Thorin said blankly. Yes, I did. It was later that I discovered that pride in a family heritage can do harm as well as good, Bilbo said heavily, his old voice cracking around the words. Much later. Thorin swallowed hard and tried to recall his mother's words. His guilt served no one. He must look for the good that came from his life as well as the bad. Still, it was deserved, that pride. Bilbo continued, his eyes unfocusing, looking back eighty years into the past. There was a soft, regretful longing in his face. He was such a powerful and determined dwarf, stately and single-minded. He loved his people so very much, loved them with all the fierceness of a firestorm, blazing and all-consuming and devastating. To be under his protection and in his good graces was to be a million feet tall and riding the waves of that storm. Flatterer, Thorin said, his mouth twitching. You and your silver tongue, burglar. Bilbo abruptly chuckled. Oh, goodness. He had such a temper. He could snap just like one of the turtles of the Brandywine River when he was cross. When he was cross an awful lot. And just like a turtle, he had a shell that was nearly impossible to get through. He had endured so much, and he was ever so sad sometimes. But nothing stopped him. Nothing could ever stop him. Nothing. He was as implacable as the tides. He never forgot, and he never forgave. Bilbo let out a long, silent breath, and his chest fell. Still, his smile was so rare and it was even more wonderful for its rarity. Oh, and that splendid voice! I wish you had heard him sing. He could have convinced the dead to follow him. Arwen's fingers tightened comfortably around his arm. 
Bilbo, she said, I know that look in an eye. I see it in my mirror every morning. You don't have to say it out loud, thank you. Bilbo sniffed rather primly. At any rate, he loved his people. Aragorn loves his people. He loved his homeland. Aragorn loves his homeland. Erebor was laid waste by a dragon. Gondor is besieged by Mordor. He was proud and strong and mighty, the scion of a long, noble line. Aragorn is also a proud, strong, and mighty scion of a long and noble line. The difference is, Aragorn knows his weakness, and Thorin would have eaten hot coals before admitting his. Hearing his ewe's name in Bilbo's mouth after so long was like a punch to the chest. I know them now, Bilbo, my dearest, he said through numb lips. How could I not? When they cost me all, I would show you how I have learned, how I have changed, Azungo. I would recite them all for you, if it would make you happy. I fear he will never find the greatness within him, said Arwen as she lowered her head, her neck arching, the curve of it as strong as steel and as graceful and delicate as a fawn's. I fear he will always keep his true essence stifled. All that is gold does not glitter, Bilbo murmured, and his expression grew distant and melancholy. I wrote that, you know, for the Duendon. One of my best, I feel. I have not heard it, said Thorin, and he lifted his hand to trace the lines that spiderwebbed around Bilbo's bright eyes. Would you speak it for me? I have heard it, said Arwen, and she lifted her dark head. All her worry and fear flickered in her beautiful face. It speaks of no darkness nor doom, and that all our hopes will come to pass. It would bring me comfort, would you? If you like, Bilbo said, and cleared his throat. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes a fire shall be woken, a light from the shadows shall spring, renewed shall be blade that was broken, the crownless again shall be king. Not all those who wander are lost, Thorn repeated, and he bowed his head. So many mistakes, so many regrets. Bilbo Baggins, how I wish... You do not think of Aragorn when you speak, said Arwen. Your eyes, Master Perianoth, they do not look upon the present. It could mean another, I suppose, Bilbo conceded, and he took a sip of his tea to hide his face. I do wish you loved him, Arwen said softly. Hobbits don't approve of such things, Bilbo said roughly, his face still in his cup. And I did mention that you didn't have to say it out loud. You loved me, said Thorin, reverend as a prayer. He had known, had known for long years. But to hear it, see it in Bilbo's face, his ribs tightened unbearably around his aching heart, and his stomach churned. Bilbo, my own, my brave, bright little soul, you truly did love me. Bilbo didn't answer aloud, but his head gave a single slow nod. Then he stuffed the remainder of the cake into his mouth and would not speak. Thorin closed his eyes. Grasping Frerin by the wrist, Thorin charged on the tunnels of the halls of Mahal towards the chamber of Sansakul. Thorin! What? Frerin blurted, yanked along behind him. Come with me, Thorin growled. Well, not like I have much choice at this particular moment, is there? Care to tell me what the problem is? You will see, he said darkly. His stomach still churned from that morning's visit with Bilbo. A meal was out of the question. Can you at least let go a little? I think I'm losing the circulation in my hand. Thorin let go of Frerin and kept striding towards the chamber. Frerin rubbed at his wrist for a few moments, before racing to catch up. All right, 
It's something bad, then. Something bad that happened. Really bad. Are we talking smog-sized bad? Azano Bizarre bad? No, Thorin said, and a little of his black mood lifted. No, it is nothing so severe. But still bad, Farron prompted. His braids were mussed from his undignified journey through the halls. Yes, Thorin said grimly. It is still bad. Hang on, they were in Lothlorien, right? Correct. They are still in Lothlorien. So, elves, then? Your powers of deduction never fail to underwhelm, Thorn grunted. Nasty, brother. Has anyone ever told you that you turn cruel when you're worried? Thorn stopped and rounded on Freren, glaring at him. No, they have not. Freren rolled his eyes, entirely unintimidated. All right, king and everything. Well, you turn very vicious, just so you know. Thorin pressed his finger against Farron's chest and opened his mouth to retort, when a memory struck him so fiercely he nearly buckled. He's been lost ever since he left home. He should never have come. He has no place amongst us. His hand dropped. Yes, perhaps you have a point, he murmured. Perhaps it is a weakness in me. I do? Farron blinked and then he pulled himself up to his full height. Right. Yes, of course I do. Turning back to lead the way to the chamber, Thorin snorted. Don't labor the point, brother. But I had one. You can't deny it now, Fern crowed, and he fell in the step beside Thorin. So what is it you're snapping and snarling about this time? The anger bubbled beneath his skin, but Thorin reined it back tightly. Gimli he said, and then clenched his jaw shut. Farron made an inelegant noise. Well, of course, Gimli. What about him? Thorin shot him a suspicious look. Have you been speaking to Grandmother? No. Should I? Farron looked genuinely puzzled. You're being very cagey, Nadad. I have reason. Thorin ushered Freren through the diamond and pearl arch of the chamber, and he tugged his little brother closer as they took the bunch that was now irrevocably Thorin's and no one else's. Come, I will show you. No more yanking my arm, Freren said stubbornly, as the stars began their slow and mesmerizing dance beneath the surface of the dark water. They almost seemed to float from the depths to swirl and bob before the eyes of the watchers, their radiance increasing before it enveloped them entirely. They were whirled into the light and released into another warm, sunlit glade. Freren looked around and his shoulders relaxed. Well, doesn't look dangerous. You say that now, Thorne said in a dark tone, before he heard the sound of approaching voices. Took such offense. You would have enjoyed the look on his face. I cannot believe your audacity. Did you truly carve such a message into the very peak of Erebor? Aye, and it stands there still. Lonnie always grumbled when anyone brought it up. A peculiar pair they made as they entered the clearing. Legolas was tall and fair and clad in silver green, his feet making barely any sound as he moved through the lush grass. His pale hair was unbraided, and he did not carry his bow nor his knives. Gimli's fiery hair was loosely threaded with his golden beads and clasps, but his beard had again been bound in its traveling braids. Wisps escaped the braids where the locks were cut close. He stumped through the glade in his sleeveless russet and blue tunic, and his powerful arms, each as thick as the elf's thigh, or for one spare of armor. Gimli had lost flesh on the journey, Thor noticed, though he had gained yet more muscle. The privations of travel and battle began to take their toll. This looks like a fine place for a pipe, Gimli said, looking up at the towering Malorn with a faint smile. Legolas pulled a face. I don't know how you stand the smell of that stuff. There's an acquired taste, I'll grant you, Gimli laughed. But the hobbits and Aragorn also smoke and so you cannot blame dwarvish obstinacy for this one. Oh, can I not? Legolas mocked, and he sprang onto a fallen log and began to walk it as easily as a spider walks its web. Gimli sat upon one end of the log and began to pack his pipe. Well, 
Perhaps you can tell me a few tales yourself as I smoke. The Lord Caliborn is your kinsman, you said. Legolas's merry expression grew solemn. Yes, he was also of Doriath. Gimli froze, his pipe halfway to his mouth. Oh. An uncomfortable pause settled over the glade, and then Legolas sighed loudly. We are always going to stumble over painful topics, are we not? Gimli let his pipe drift back to his lap, and he nodded. Most likely. Still, as long as we are honest. You must tell me if I offend you, Legolas said earnestly. Aye, and likewise. Gimli sighed as well, and then he began to light his pipe with a scowl. This friendship will not always be easy, Legolas. Friendship? Farron said, and he gaped. That is what I meant to show you, Thorin said, his jaw clenching and unclenching, and his breath coming fast through his nose. Farron turned to him with shock and wonder in his eyes. But that, this is a good thing, right? Elf and dwarf, friends again after so many long centuries? You are naive, Thorin snapped. A good thing? You say? Well, I fail to see a downside, Furin said, and he stuck his chin out. And Gimli is no unimportant dwarf. He is a lord's son, and this elf is the prince of the woodland realm. Thorin, this could change everything. A fierce young star has his own part to play in this. He is a dwaro alone, and yet I feel that he is about to step into something that will change the Khazad forever. Mahal's words, Mahal's words sprang to Thorin's mind, and he swallowed his answer, glowering at the unlikely pair with worry and suspicion. You know what happens when elves fall out with dwarves, he muttered. This will not last. Cynic? Farron shot back. I thought you trusted Gimli more than that. I believe in Gimli, Thorin growled. It is the elf I cannot trust. Yes, yes, he's an elf. He's Thranduil's son. I know the whole litany. Fern said dismissively, and he turned back to watch the two. In the interest of honesty, Legolas said, reluctance in every syllable, I feel I should tell you something. You will not like it. Gimli peered up at him, his hair sliding down over one bare, brawny shoulder. His coming-of-age tattoos were very dark against the pale skin of his shoulder that so rarely saw the sunlight. "'Should I brace myself?' he said dryly. Legolas winced. "'Perhaps. But I beg you, do not go for your axes.' "'Now I am really concerned,' Gimli said, and he took a pull of his pipe. "'Well, let it out, laddie, before you burst.' "'I was in the party that captured the company of Thorn Oak and Shield eighty years ago.' Legolas said in a rush. I was the leader. Gimli blinked. For some reason, that wasn't what I was expecting you to say, he said. So you captured my father's band? Legolas nodded, his face stricken. Oh, stop looking at me like that. I'm not going to go for my axes, said Gimli. No, I'm not happy about it. But what can I do here and now? Legolas slumped in relief. Sit down, elf. Gimli commanded, and he took another pull on his pipe before fixing Legolas with a stern look. If we are honest and we cannot dance around these painful things, they happened, and there's no denying them. You captured my father and his companions and wrongly imprisoned them. Well, there it is. I knew that before. I simply didn't know it was at your hands. I drew my bow upon your king and threatened his life, Legolas said and sighed again. I took a locket from your father. Gimli raised an eyebrow. You took a dad's locket? No wonder he's not your greatest admirer. Well, I suppose I spoke too soon when I was chatting to Master Frodo all those weeks ago. There is one of our party who has seen me with my beard half grown. How did you like my portrait? Legolas jerked. That, of course, that was you. Gimli chuckled. Hi, who do you think? I would have been... Oh, perhaps twenty or so in that picture? I insulted your mother, Legolas said, and he covered his face as the tips of his sharp ears reddened. You rascal! Gimli sat up straighter. Insult my mother? What in Doran's name did you say? I may have insinuated she was ugly, 
Legolas said, muffled by his palms. Gimli blinked, and then he threw back his head and roared with laughter. Legolas's head emerged from his hands, and he looked vaguely offended. Why do you laugh? I tell you, I insulted your mother. And what a ridiculous insult it was, Gimli said, wiping at his eyes. Lad, my mother is a famous beauty. Legolas's mouth dropped open slightly, and then he began to laugh as well. I see I may have made something of a fool of myself, he said merrily. I well, Gimli said, and he shook his head. Better to be a fool and know it than continue being foolish and ignorance. You know, my sister looks so much like my mother did in her youth that it is uncanny, although her hair is the same color as mine and her dad's. It's quite the sight. She never unbinds it usually, for when she does it reaches below her knees. Legolas smiled, and his eyes were alight with gratitude at the easy forgiveness and change of topic. Elves love long hair. We make our bowstrings from elf hair, you know. You never! Gimli sat forward. Does it not break? No, no, Legolas said. It is stronger than it appears, and light and thin. What color is your nephew's hair? Ah, that little scamp is a darker red than I, with his father's light brown eyes. My wild little warrior. I wonder how tall he is now. How long does it take a dwarf to reach adulthood? Legolas asked, and he leaned back and wrapped his arms around his knees. Oh, we come of age at seventy. That's when I got these, Gimli said, and he tapped at his shoulder with a bowl of his pipe. He did not flinch at the temperature, being long accustomed to the scorching heat of the iron ore smelters. I have not seen so many tattoos before, Legolas said, and he peered curiously at the black sigils and patterns inked over Gimli's massive shoulders. What if you have a change of heart? Gimli chuckled. Well, you're stuck with it, aren't you? That's why we are made to draw them on with gold ink every day for a month before they are made permanent. That way we've plenty of time to back out. Your people do not make such markings, do they? No. Some elves use paints, but I seldom wear them. Legolas looked up at Gimli for permission, and upon his nod he touched the tattoo with one forefinger. Did it hurt? It wasn't an ale and a pipe and a jolly song, no, said Gimli dryly. Do you have any morning marks? Three. Gimli lowered his eyes, and Legolas flinched a little before he delicately moved on in his questioning. So this is for your coming of age. You were full-grown when you were marked? Aye, mostly. I'm might less tall and broad than I am now, and certainly not as strong. We grow tougher as we get older. You see? Still, everyone is different. I came to my height later than many other longbeards. My young cousin Wee Thorin is only thirty-seven, and he's near as tall as his father Dwalin already. That name may need adjusting, then, Legolas said, smiling. Dwalin and Oin are going to have apoplexy, and father's going to spontaneously combust, Fern whispered, staring at Gimli in horror. Thorin did not answer. He had his head in his hands. Gimli's laugh was easy and relaxed. Ugh, you can't get away from it now, poor lad. Not after all these years. Named after that king you mentioned, you know? Dwalin was of the company as well. Was he the one with the yellow hair and the braids in his mustache? Gimli's breath caught, and then he said, No, that was Feely. Dwalin is far taller, with a bald head and tattoos on his plate and knuckles. Oh, that one... Legolas said, and he shook his head. He gave us a truly astonishing amount of trouble. Maybe you should tell him that. It'd please him to no end. Legolas smiled again, and then he looked up at Gimli. The blonde one, Fili, he was one of those who died. One of the cousins you mentioned. Mary reminds you of him. That's right, Gimli said, and took a puff of his pipe. His brother, the young one with the wide grin, Keely. Keely, he and my friend Toriel had some understanding of each other. Legolas's eyes grew distant. I thought him mad at the time. They were very young, Gimli said, and he tapped out his pipe against his boot. Very young indeed. Keely was only seventy-seven, and Feely just five years older. 
That seems strange to me today. I am now near twice Keeley's age when he died. And yet I'll always feel like that young and foolish Doro, scurrying at their heels in the poverty of Erluin. Who is Toriel? Legolas's eyes tightened. Was. Oh, Mahal's bloody hammer. I'm sorry, lad. My turn to put my foot in my mouth. She is gone, then? Yes. She died after the Battle of Five Armies, Legolas said, and his head fell back. My father was fond of her, and raised her beside me. My elder brothers would call her Arpine Gothel, or Little Sister. She was a fierce fighter, and unlike most wood elves, her hair was near as red as yours. He paused. It was Toriel who believed that the fight and plight of the dwarves was ours as well. My father was not pleased at breaking our long isolation. He broke it willingly enough for the lake men, especially when there was gold to be gained from our deaths, Thorin muttered. Thorin shushed him. Enough, Thorin, he said. You have chewed over those particular old bones until they are picked clean and as thin as thread. Let it go, yes? Never, Thorn grated, and he glared at Thranduil's son. You are such a ray of sunshine, big brother, Farron grumbled. Blame yourself, blame the elves, blame men, blame the fates. But Mahal forbid you ever try to move on. Thorn ignored him and turned back to Ginley. The younger dwarf also leaned back upon the log once he had tucked his pipe in his jerkin and gazed up at the achingly blue sky with wondering, serene eyes. Beautiful, he said quietly. I never thought I could feel such peace in a land of elves. The power of the lady holds all of Lothlorien in safety, said Legolas. Perhaps that is what you feel. I do not doubt it, cousin, came the low, pure voice of the lady herself. Galadriel stepped into the glade on bare white feet, her dress snagging in the blades of grass behind her. For Gimli, son of Gloin, feels many things, both the seen and the unseen. Both Legolas and Gimli sprang to their feet. Hiddelin, said Legolas, bowing low. Gimli gazed up at her with starry eyes, his heart in his face. My lady, he said, and then he lowered his head with utter respect. Rise, she said, and her hand gently landed upon Gimli's hair, turning his face up towards her once more. He swallowed hard, and another wisp came loose from his braids. Ah, you have been mourning, I see. Do not let your hearts linger too long in sadness. It does not do to spend too much time with the dead. Aye, Gimli said in a faltering voice. Is he going to faint? Farron whispered. And who's the new elf? That is the Lady of the Golden Wood, Thorn whispered back. Farron swallowed back a gasp, and he began to bite down upon his lip. Well, she's not quite what the old tales make her out to be. It was Thorn's turn to hush his brother. Tolo, Galadriel said, and gestured to them both. I have been seeking you, Gimli, for there is something I sense, something I wish to know. Yet I would not presume to know all the secrets of dwarves. Tell me, Dorin's son, will you look into my mirror? A mirror? Gimli looked puzzled, and he turned to Legolas with his confusion written all over him. Legolas's face went lax and blank. Thorin was beginning to recognize this as an indication of shock, and not a sign of unfeeling. You would have him look, lady? If he will... Legolas Greenleaf, she said without turning her back. Her feet scarcely crushed the grass as she walked. She barely even seemed of the earth, an ancient fae spirit come to enchant them. It is not far. What's all this, then? Gimli hissed, and Legolas shot him a warning look, and began to follow the lady through the winding paths between the huge bowls of silver trees. Gimli twiddled his fingers together for a moment before he made an inarticulate noise of defeat and scurried after them. What mirror? Farron wondered. Some elf sorcery, no doubt, Thorin said, and he drew close to Gimli. This lady can test others with her gaze alone. 
She can measure the hopes and the dreams of their hearts. I do not trust her. Gimli does, Farron pointed out. Gimli also spills secrets faster than a drunkard spills ale, Thorin growled. He is a far more open-hearted dwarrow than I. Oh, how you shock me, brother, said Farron dryly. Galadriel led them to a small hollow between the great trees, where shallow steps had been formed of the tree roots and slabs of pale gray rock. In the middle of the depression sat a plinth, and upon it was set a large silver basin. Water trickled with a merry little gurgle to a small pool at the furthest side of the hollow. Here is the mirror of Galadriel, she said, and she took up a silvery pitcher and filled it with water from the stream. I cannot tell you what it is you will see, for the mirror will show you what it will. Well, pardon me saying, lady, but that's not terribly helpful, Gimli said, planting his feet apart and squinting up at her. He looked so painfully dwarvish in that fashion, his arms banded with thick muscle and tattoos, and his hair wild and his beard fierce. It made Thorin want to cheer. There's a proper dwarrow, Farron said approvingly, I haven't seen him spin his axe in over thirty years, you know. You have a treat in store for you, Thorin said, gazing with pride at a star. He is the finest axeman I have ever seen. Galadriel smiled. The mirror can see what is gone, what is present, and what may come to pass. Will you look? Gimli hesitated. Why me, lady? Because you are surrounded by voices, Gimli of Erebor she said cryptically. But it must be your choice. Gimli glanced between her and Legolas, and then he lifted his chin. Aye, I'll look then. No doubt I'll see nothing but the trees and sky above, but it can't hurt to try, eh? She laughed. No, it will not hurt. She poured the water from her pitcher into the basin in one long, clear fall. The water seemed almost like a shining silver ribbon. Do not touch the water she murmured as she stepped back. Gimli swallowed again, and then moved beside the plinth. But tall, this, he grumbled to himself. He span, frowning, and spotting a likely rock, he hefted it to the side of the plinth to stand on. Can you see now, Melanin? Legolas said. Aye, I can. What? Wait, that's Arid Lewin. Why, there's my father, and his hair's not yet turned white. Thorin's pulse began to pound. He sees the past? Oin, Balin, Loni, Nali, Ori, Frar? Oh, my friends! My friends! Gimli choked. Oh, why do you show me this? You must see the past, Farin said, frowning. Wait. The scene changes, Gimli said, breath-catching. Why am I on a ship? Dwarves do not belong on ships. I'll be seasick, no doubt. Yeah, that tunnel. I do not like the look of that tunnel. I have never seen it before, and yet it chills me to my marrow. What tunnel? What ship? Fran pressed a hand to his head. What is to happen to Gimli? Legolas, you are in this mirror. You ride a grey horse. Wait, I am on the back. Ugh, how did I look forward to that? I am not fond of riding. Who is that man? Ugh, the mirror jumps from picture to picture like a frog on a hot rock. I do not know, Thorin said, his heartbeat throbbing in his ears. A ship, a horse, the elf, a tunnel, a man... I do not understand any of this. Suddenly, Gimli roared. Erebor! No! No! Erebor is under siege! Erebor is at war! A mighty host of orcs crowds its flanks! Be calm, Galadriel said softly. It may not come to pass. No! Oh, no! Gimli breathed, his eyes stricken. Then he drew up straighter, as presumably the scene changed once more. A tree? A dead tree. Must ask the elf about dead trees. Now, what is this? Abruptly, Thorn could feel a tugging at his breastbone, a small but insistent pull that suddenly became a fierce and jolting wrench. No, it cannot be, Gimli said in disbelief, and then he looked straight into Thorn's eyes. Thorn Oakenshield. Ah, the lady murmured. Then that is what I sensed. I do not understand, Thorin said, and his voice was barely a whisper. Gimli, you can see me in this elvish mirror. You are Thorin, son of Thrain, 
called Oakenshield, King Under the Mountain, Gimli said, and he was still looking straight into Thorin's eyes somehow. After eighty years of being glanced over and looked through, to have his star meet his eyes was stunning. An earthquake in his heart. Was Thorin in the mirror? Did Gimli truly see him? I have not known you since I was small, and you have been dead for many years, Lord, said Gimli respectfully, his brows drawn together. Yet of all the pictures I have seen, you speak to me. I, I am dead, Thorin rasped, pierced to the core by those eyes finally, finally, upon his. And without his conscious control, his hand drifted up to reach for Gimli's bright hair. It still passed through, and he tore his hand away with an anguished oath. Still, he would make the most of the opportunity. He had learned. He would not repeat the same mistakes of his life and leave the important words unsaid. Gimli, he said, fervent and low, we are gone from Ada, but not gone for good. I have watched over you since my fall, cousin, and your strength and fire and laughter have saved me from fading into the dark embrace of guilt and despair. You are loved, my fair star. He set his jaw and forced himself to keep his eyes upon Gimli's, dark and deep and full of life. I am proud of you, my champion. He took a deep breath and his tone dropped to nearly a sigh. Ursuru inodoi kordalu. Gimli's eyes widened, and then the strange spell passed. What did you see? Legolas asked anxiously. Are you well? I am well enough, Gimli said, blinking dazedly. Give me a moment. Thorn? said Farron, worry in his voice, and for a brief confused moment Thorn could not tell where he was or even which way was up. Then a hand landed on his shoulder, and Frerin was drawing him close. Thorin, you flickered. I've never seen anything. Are you all right? I am dead, Thorin mumbled, his head aching and spinning, his eyes blurred. Define all right. Finally, Gimli lifted his head, frowning in bewilderment. Why? Why did I see my kinsman, long laid to rest in the halls of our ancestors, and why did he speak? What manner of mirror is this? Do not be afraid, Gimli, Galadriel said in her sweet, mellifluous voice. And the elf woman bent down to him and brushed a stray lock of red hair from his brow. The mirror cannot harm you. I'm not harmed, nor am I afraid, said Gimli quickly. Just. You have been blessed, child of Ale, she continued, smiling gently. I know what it is you saw, and you have been blessed beyond measure. The voices that surround you are those of your kin. My kin! Gimli nearly fell off the rock. You mean, all this time I've been mourning them, and they've been watching me? They cannot reach you, she said, and straightened to send a brief but significant look to Legolas. They cling to you, near as thought but they cannot be seen nor heard by the living. Through the power and grace gifted to me long ago, I could feel the presence that embraces you, that fierce love surrounding you, and I could sense the voices, though I did not hear their words. I do not know how or why they stay with you, Gimli, but the care that swathes you is powerful and devoted. His voice, Gimli said, lost and dazed. I know it. I know that voice, nearly as well as I know my own. It seems I have been listening to it forever. She laid a hand on his shoulder. You know more of him than you realize. Gimli's face grew vulnerable and odd. He said, he said I was loved. He called me Star, he called me. Thorin, you really don't look well, Farron said. Thorin pushed away from him, staggering drunkenly his gaze fixed on Gimli. Gimli, who knew? He knows, Thorin said. He knows. Farron, he knows. Aye. Farron's young face broke into a smile. He knows. Gimli, Thorin managed, lurching further towards his star. His vision smudged. 
His legs felt rubbery and weak. Gimli. Gimli. And then the stars swallowed him whole and tore him away, and he was sent reeling and spiraling into the blinding, whirling galaxies of Gimlin's Ram. Thorin blinked awake with a groan. His eyes felt gummy, and his head ached. He was staring at the ceiling of his chamber. His head really ached. Overdoing it, said a gruff voice. Boyne, he needs to take more rest. Idiot boy, said Thrain with worry in his tone, and someone sat on the end of the bed and laid a comforting hand on his shin. Thorin, said Freese gently. Thorin, I know you're awake. I saw your eyes move. Come, sit up in a doorway. We have food here. How many? Thorin mumbled and she swam into view. Her braids were slightly mussed. Freren roused the whole of the halls with his squawking. Apparently, no one has ever fainted in the pool before. Thorin's heart sank. Wonderful. No, don't be embarrassed. It's all right. Everyone now knows what you do every day, and how important the quest in Arda is. It is the talk of every Dwaro, Freese said and she smoothed his covers down over the rise of his chest. Here, yeah, try to sit up. Thorin tried to restrain his groan as he struggled to sit up, and failed. Oin came bustling forward, pushing aside Feely and Keely as he did so. Your head? Thought so. Hold on. Take this. A cup of something hot that smelled vaguely like willow bark was put before his nose, and Thorin fumbled forward and drank it with smarting eyes. The pain eased. You must learn to delegate, son, Thrain said from where he stood, holding back Thorin's nephews. You cannot keep up like this. No, I was fine. It was the elf woman's mirror, Thorin croaked. Thrain shook his head. We know. Freren has told every level of the halls. Freren grimaced. Sorry, I was a bit excited. I spoke to our maker, Oin said, laying a professional hand against Thorn's brow. The mirror would not have harmed you so if you weren't already exhausted. And you haven't been at table often, so no doubt you do not eat either, you stubborn mule. Thorn's head was easier, but it still pounded. He pressed his brow against Oin's palm, the pressure easing it further. What is the point of such things? I am dead. He's probably still upset about Gimli, whispered Ferrin from the back of the room. His blue eyes were wide. I, dead to Middle-earth, you fool, Oin said, and took his hand away to glare down at his king. But your body here and now is a body remade. Or had you forgotten? We live here in the halls. You are alive, you great regal idiot. Thorn struggled upright. Then why the endless waiting? Why may we not truly live? Why could I not touch him? <sighs> said Fries, and she helped him up and arranged his covers around his hips. We wait for the second music, my dear. When we will finally be fully accepted, we wait to be given a place of our own in the world to come. You know this. First, we've got to get through Dagor Daggeroth, though, added Feely. That's going to be fun, said Keeley sourly. But Arda, the ring, the power that grows there. Aye, it's important. But so are you, said Oin, and he gave the back of Thorin's shoulder a light thwack. You great idiot, an immortal body, and you found new ways in which to ruin it. Why did I follow you again? That makes you the greater idiot. Thorin managed, and he gave Oin a glower. The healer ignored it blithely. If I am so eternal, then why the fuss? Oin sighed loudly, his eyes rolling. Look, we died, yes? And we woke up here wearing these bodies, but they're not immutable. And so it follows that we are not invulnerable. We eat... Sleep, 
bleed, grow tired, burn ourselves at the forge, do all the things we did in our lives upon order, but we have been renewed and remade. My hair is the colour it was when I was one hundred and twenty, and your father doesn't look a day over a hundred and eighty. We go back to the age at which we were our best selves, Thorin. Thorin fell back against his pillows, his head hammering and throbbing. I am still... I, said Oind eventually, and he smiled. Still my king. I do not think the last year of my life was my best. Thorin muttered darkly, and Oin hit him again. Sorry? I thought I heard someone insulting my king. I'll be hitting anyone who does that, he said, and his eyes twinkled. Such loyalty, Thorin said, and softly snorted. So? What was it about that mare that made you come over all hobbity anyway? asked Keeley. Feely immediately elbowed him in the ribs. He saw me. Gimli saw me. Thorin said, and he reached out. Feely grasped his hand. He saw me, but I could not touch him. He heard me. He knows. Calm down, Nidoy, Thrain said, and tugged at one of Thorin's braids. Here, eat and rest. If you attempt to go to those waters in the next twenty-four hours, I will sit on you. Don't think I won't. But must I order you, Nidoy? Thrain said, his eyebrows raising. Thorin huffed in frustration. Adard, events move swiftly now. Gimli, the fellowship, he knows, Adard, and I cannot, he broke off, unable to find the right words. And then there's Erebor and Bilbo. 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 It moves so fast, and Aragorn and Boromir, I should be there. My gift is needed. I cannot be so selfish again. Bilbo had said his name for the first time in eighty years, and it had shaken Thorin to his core. Bilbo had loved him, even cruel and distant as he had been. Thorin's grip tightened reflexively on Feely's hand, and his nephew's face softened, and he squeezed back comfortingly. Strength, uncle, he said softly. That is the nature of events. Thorin, Free said. They sometimes dawdle and sometimes race. You will catch up again when you have your strength. Selflessness is not sacrifice, my son. But it was both comforting and infuriating that, after a century of life as the highest authority and sole leader of his people, his parents were suddenly there to take the reins from him. It made Thorin grasp for them. Gimli knows, and he is surrounded by Ahmad he has held out his hand in friendship to that elf. If you think there is any in the halls who have not heard about Gimli, Gloinol, and the elf, Frey said dryly, you severely underestimate your brother. Ferrin flushed and hid his face behind his golden hair. I should be there for him, Thorin said his stubbornness welling up in his chest. Then he yawned. Because you're in such fine shape, of course, Oin said, folding his arms and fixing Thorn with a level look. Now don't you fret about my daft-headed nephew. He'll have eyes on him, mark my words. Oin isn't pleased about the elf, said Feely in an undertone. Neither are Balin, Loni, Nori, Nolly, great-grandfather, Fundin, Groin, Nain, grandfather, my stupid brother, and, oh, practically every other Dwaro in the halls, added Keeley sardonically. But Ori, Biffa, Ferrin, Frog, great-grandmother, and my stupid brother are tickled pink, said Feely, poking his brother's side. Still, grandmother hasn't picked a side yet. I do not trust that elf with my star, Thorin muttered. His head felt too small for the pounding that rattled within it. Chalk up another on the against side, said Feely. You, my stubborn child, are going nowhere, so accept the idea, said Fries firmly, and she nudged the tray she had brought in closer to his hand. Thor looked up, a protest hanging on his lips. Six determinedly unimpressed pairs of eyes glared back at him. Oh, all right he muttered, and covered his eyes with his free hand. Ori and Nori are watching Gimli, 
Keeley said, and he clumsily patted Thorne's knee. The fellowship isn't going anywhere for a few days at the least, it seems. And Herrera is watching Gloin. She said she would have words with you later. Thorin and Freyrin winced in unison. Balin is watching over the Stonehelm on his way back to Erebor, said Feely. And we'll keep an eye on Erebor and Dane for you, if you'd like. Thorin peered out from beneath his fingers up at his nephews, who both looked simultaneously proud and worried, and he felt his heart reach out to them. In his obsession and fear for the Fellowship and Gimli, he had nearly forgotten his nephews. His Undayui. Yeah, he said, and pulled Feely closer by his grip on his hand. You should stay here with me. Feely looked dubious, but Keely beamed. I'm not sure how conducive these two are to a good rest, said Oin, but he held up his hands in defeat. I'm not going to stop you, but I could if I tried. I'll go stop in on Dane and Dis, then. I'll let you know how it all goes, eh? Then he stabbed a thick finger at Thorin. Tomorrow. Thorin tucked Feely's golden head under his chin and nodded. Tomorrow. Oin gave him a suspicious look, and then he turned away, muttering, You frighten me when you agree with me so easily. You two aliens, make sure you don't leave that bed. Everyone else, let's move out. Let the idiot eat in peace. Thank you, Oin. Thorn called after him. The raised tone made his head pound some more, and he fell back with a groan. You look awful, said Keeley. Really, really awful. Did the mirror hurt that much? It was... It was like the stars of Gimlin's are on, but instead of being gathered up and released, I was pulled. Thorn rubbed the place over his heart, where the elf woman's sorcery had torn him into the waking world. Has Gimli really made friends with that elf? said Feely quietly. Thorin's breath hitched, and then he swallowed hard and nodded. Keely frowned. Maybe it'll last. Maybe he's changed. It will not last, Thorin spat. Tijnu hyadak gavasha, Feely quoted, and he shook his head. Ruthu hikizu, himrur. Keely scowled and completed the saying, folding his arm stubbornly. Just because you've got a soft spot for elves, Feely said heatedly. One, Thorn counted silently. It could change everything, Keely shot back. Two, yes, for the worse. Poor Gimli, at least he has the excuse of being surrounded by elves without a single living Dwaro for company. Not like you. Upon three... Keely growled and launched himself at his brother, and the two of them began to tussle on the floor of Thorin's chamber. It brought back vivid memories of watching over them in Arid Lewin during their childhoods. He sighed, ignoring the pair, and pulled over the tray his mother had left him. Meat and bread and potatoes, covered in a thick sauce, greeted him. His stomach growled. Keep the noise down, he commanded them and began to eat. Author's End Note Sindarin, Tolo, come. Melonin, my friend. Dunedan, man of the West, i.e. Numenorian. Bilbo refers to Aragorn by this name in the chapter Many Meetings. Kuzdu, Azungal, love of loves. Idujib, diamond. Givasha, treasure of treasures. Ursuru Inudoi Kordulu, my fiery son of the heart. Dijnu Hyadach Givasha, Ruthu Hikizu Hyemrur. Trust is a rare treasure, handed out scarcely. Rahurumizu Tada Kajimu Hizd Anazu, and honor those that give it to you.
Nadad, brother, Inudoi, son, Ondayu, the greatest boys, Adad, father, Ahmad, mother. The second music of the Ainur. Before time itself was created, the Valar, Ainur, composed a great music. This music was the world itself with all its history from beginning to end. At a word from Eru Iluvatar, their music took shape and substance in the void, and so the world was born. Once the first music has run its course, and the world is laid waste by Dagor Dagoroth, the second theme will be revealed, and a new and perfect world will take shape. No Vala has any knowledge of what the second music is, only that it will be greater than the first. Dagor Dagoroth, Battle of Battles According to the second prophecy of Mandos, it is said that one day Melkor, Morgoth, will escape his bonds beyond the door of night. Melkor, who is now known as Morgoth, was the Ainu who spurned Eru and his part in the first music. All his works turned to darkness, and he was Sauron's master and teacher. He will unleash destruction upon the world. After his death, the Silmarils will be recovered, all the elves will return, and Arda shall be renewed. The dwarves believe that they will help their maker recreate Arda as it was meant to be.